0: This Choircast Podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church Podcast. And the letter F. And you. <laughs> <laughs> if you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as a as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says,
1: peace.
2: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's heretic
3: happy hour.
4: Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the North Pole. I am your one of your many co-hosts Keith Giles and this is a very special Christmas edition of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast so pour yourself a hot mug of whatever it is you drink around Christmas time eggnog uh christmas tea whatever it happens to be
3: wait a hot mug of eggnog
4: why not i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and uh and settle back under, around the christmas tree uh children as we as we uh present to you this special christmas edition my name is Keith Giles I'm one of your many co-hosts, author of the Jesus Un series and the recently released solo Mysterium, Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything. And I am joined by my fabulous uh, Winter Wonderland co-hosts, Shonda, Katie, December, and sometimes Matt. Say hi.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, This is Katie Valentine. You can also call me the Virgin, (laughs) 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 guiding us through this experience today with holy wisdom and writ uh I, none of none of that's true uh but I, I am the founder of the metaphysical christian facebook community where we do talk about things like virgin births and angels all the time so come and join us
2: good day everybody this is holly jolly december rose welcome <laughs> live with y'all on uh this christmas edition author of the church can go to hell and other spicy things so i am so happy to be a part i'm ready to have some fun thank you for listening
3: I am Shonda, and the first three letters of my name are the same as Santa. So I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions from that. I am the author of the liberating love devotional, and very excited to be talking about today's theme.
0: And I am sometimes Matt. Merry fucking Christmas, everybody! If you don't celebrate Christmas, whatever holiday you celebrate, or if you don't celebrate, happy happy December twentieth, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it's it's been it's been a good year. It's been a long year. I think uh, this is like year 3 of covid and we're we're rolling into a new year so we'll see what that brings but before we do that we have some stone excuse me stone thoughts i don't know how much they 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 border on existential thoughts so beware i was talking with michael machuga the other day about evil and suffering and of course we were Relating it to the Lord of the Rings. And we were stoned. But we realized that without evil and suffering, you couldn't even have the Lord of the Rings. And then it dawned on us, you couldn't really even have good literature or any literature. And if you did, it it wouldn't mean anything. Because the characters we wouldn't be able to relate to. Any good story needs... Evil and suffering, and it's kind of a sobering thought.
4: And and that's it. Okay, uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's all right. you
0: get. I'm that for more. That was really intense. Wow, well,
3: uh,
4: yeah, that was a little
3: it, yes, it a little and
4: different. not Christmassy at all. <laughs> no, boy, I'm trying to trying to get into the Christmas. <laughs> uh, my my Christmas spirit meter just went Yes, yeah, although some people do think of room. I know
3: <laughs> some people do think of the Lord of the Rings as Christmas viewing. Sure. so I'm not Ooh. sure why, but they do, so mm. maybe that's there's the tie-in
4: well, so yeah, I mean, yeah, evil it, so it's weird when you think of it in that from that perspective because it's almost like what you're suggesting is evil gives meaning to life, huh, right, because mm. without evil, there would be you no know, right, you need a struggle, you need the hero needs something to overcome, you know, so hmm,
1: yeah, yeah, that's deep. <laughs> I like I it how this brings that? it back to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, everything, comes all, back, everything, times, everything so goes back.
2: Everything I know, very Matt. I don't. You said something like you said that there has to be like evil and suffering for every good story. I ain't sure about that. I ain't sure about. I think you can have a good story without evil and suffering, although maybe it won't be as triumphant or something. But I'm I'm all for stories that don't have to include evil and suffering myself. You know, like the story of macaroni and cheese
3: or pound cake <laughs> or actually there is yeah, a lot of evil four. and suffering wrapped up in the story of macaroni and cheese
4: okay so here's an example <laughs> to break I'm, it to you. <laughs> I, I'm thinking i'm thinking you got me you got me thinking now about like okay are there good stories that don't have evil and suffering so that would be an interesting you know like make a list can you think of like movies that you've seen or books that you've read that really don't involve that right and the only one i can think of right now is like if you give a mouse a cookie but i'm sure there's more
3: Actually, there are a lot of children's stories. Squirrel yes. Nutkin involves absolutely no evil or suffering. See? See? Well, minor suffering. He can be done. Yeah. <laughs> can well, be done. I I was told um, in a
1: workshop I did when I was in seminary on humor that all humor is based on suffering. I thought about it. I thought, damn, that's true. You, know, you laugh at someone falling down, even if they find yeah. it funny. It's based on a mishap on a, on suffering so all humor is actually rooted in the idea that someone is, you know.
4: Yeah, comedy is tragedy
3: plus pain. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Mel Mel Brooks say um, tragedy is when I I fall down, when I cut my finger, Uh, comedy is when you fall down a manhole. Right. (laughs) That seems about right. Tragedy is when the the smallest thing happens to me is tragedy. The worst thing that happens to you is hilarious.
1: So I'm going to bring this around to a theological uh, treatise. Thank thank you. Which is something I hear all the time which is when we talk about the Old Testament God and the New Testament God ooh, and, and ooh. stuff that drives me a little bit bananas. But in, it's not that I don't think that the people that were writing the Old Testament had any idea of evil. I think they did. It's just that um, God didn't have a counterpart in the Old Testament. There's no, de- there's no devil. There's no Satan. And so then God becomes responsible for everything that happens, good or quote-unquote evil. And so I think that's why we sometimes see like the God of the Old Testament, which is um, a horrible thing to say. Everyone, don't don't ever say that. Um, it's a it's it's not kind to our Jewish uh, our Jewish siblings. Um, but so then we have this idea of like what do we don't know? I think as as a human species, we don't really know what to do with like bad things or or things that we perceive as being evil, and we have to pin them on something. We often have
3: to pin them on something supernatural.
1: We see that happening a lot, you know, a lot in the Bible.
3: That's interesting because like. This is the thing about when you leave a job, people say, like, when you get to a new job, people are like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. That last person didn't do X, Y, and Z. And at a certain point, you realize, oh, I'm going to be that person yeah. when I leave, right? Yeah. So we always blame the person who's not in the room. Um, so I never thought of God as being the person who's not in the room and therefore gets blamed for everything. But yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. obviously, God's everywhere. But you know what I mean?
4: Well, stone thoughts, they always take us in, uh, in different places, unexpected places.
1: Wait, this feels like a happy Festivus opportunity.
5: (laughs) If
4: you're not familiar with
1: the the Aryan of Grievances, if you're not familiar with Festivus from Seinfeld, everyone should go back and watch that late 90s uh, little gem where George's father celebrates Festivus on December 23rd and you just get to shout at each other and say, why, you're pissed off all year. So we could do that with God, evil, good, each other, Mm -hmm. whatever. So (laughs) happy Festivus. Um, And that brings us to our... (laughs) Really, really wonderful Heretic of the Week. Y'all are going to love this person. He's been hanging around in heresy after hours for a while, so his name might be really familiar to you. I'm not going to spoil it, obviously, because he's going to introduce himself. But if you've ever wondered if you can go from conservative Christianity to being a a woo-woo hypnotherapist, you're in for a treat.
0: It's the Heretic of the Week.
5: Hi, my name is Justin, and I'm a heretic probably because I think evangelicalism is toxic. I don't think the Bible is the word of God, uh, but we can look at the Bible as a mystical and allegorical text.
1: Hi, Hi, Justin. Justin. Hey, Justin. We're so happy to have you here. I I had Justin on another podcast. And I said, oh, well, you've already been on Heretic Happy Hour. And he said, no, I haven't. And I couldn't believe it because your name popped up everywhere. So we're really ha- to happy to have you here as our heretic. And I think you've already answered. But go ahead and elaborate a little more on why people would call you a heretic.
5: Yeah, I just don't find religion to be something that is useful. I mean, it's useful to some sense, right? In history, it has been. And it's just grown out of its usefulness. And I would say there are different ways to view the Bible that are not toxic you know, in a way that is um, in line with mysticism, uh, in a way that is more about psychological truths and states of consciousness. And so we don't have to follow uh, a particular institution or even a holy book. Um, we get to really decide like what resonates with us and what makes sense to us.
1: And I'm going to fast forward to the biggest maybe heresy of all. Just give people a little preview. We'll talk about it later on, like your profession right now.
5: Sure. I mean, I like to think of myself as a fellow traveler on this journey of healing. And so the way that I I guess I do that is through different hypnotic modalities. So I know the word hypnosis kind of conjures up a lot of questions. Um, uh, people are kind of shy about it. People aren't as I found when I talk to people about hypnosis. Um, they kind of shy away. Like they're not as excited about it as I am. They're like, oh, that stuff's true. Oh my gosh, can you uh oh my gosh, can you like, you know, mind control me? It's like not like that at all. So, but what I do really is um help people along this healing journey and just create a safe space. Um, and so that's what I do.
1: Hypnosis, mystics, yeah, heresy is is flying high right now. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I
2: I have I, I am one of those folks who will probably back up from the hypnotism only because I was ra- I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, uh, and my mother was very religious, uh, coming up and we were instructed do not consult with tarot card readers, do not consult with uh any type of, you know, hand reader, do not consult with hypnotists, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing like that. So I was never under the impression that it wasn't real. I was always under the impression um that it was satanic. Or uh, otherwise not godly, um, if not satanic. Um, so, what would you say to somebody who has that idea, and how how can you how do you express how do you use hypnotism to help people find a pathway to faith or um, open open them up more to the God or the source that they believe in? How does that work together?
5: Yeah, great questions. Well, I would say that. I mean, they're probably heretics, but there are Christians who do practice hypnosis, far and few between. Um, of course, you have someone like Katie who's working with all these different kinds of uh, modalities and, and spiritualities. Um, I wish I could be hypnotized would...
1: more easily. I resist it. You know? <laughs> really? Oh, that's my fascinating. Mind, my busy mind does. But yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would say that uh, religion has already hypnotized you. In a broader sense, we're all being hypnotized. We're all being um Suggested different truths or falsehoods or statements, and that you can't escape hypnosis. It's just a natural state of suggestibility. So, like the first moment you wake up, you're in this kind of uh, limbo state, right, where you're kind of awake but kind of not. Same thing, like right before you go to bed, you're in this limbo state, right. You're just kind of you're in an alpha or theta wave state. And that's the point where you can impress your subconscious mind the most. So really, hypnosis is a natural state. And if we can actually utilize hypnosis, we can actually take back control of our minds, mm. if that makes sense.
2: That does make sense. How we would go about it, I'd have no idea. Since I've had such uh, hypnosis, to stay away from hypnosis, I, <laughs> it would take me probably quite a bit. To get comfortable with something like that, but I'd definitely be interested in it. i would definitely be interested in it. Have you experienced this, Katie?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we we all experience hypnosis, just like Justin said, naturally. Like you know, when you're driving. I mean, tell me if this is right, Justin, but when you're driving from point A to point B and you get to point B, and you're like, how did I get there? You're probably yeah, in the right that's a, kind yeah, of hypnosis.
5: Ex- exactly, exactly. Like, and I do that all the time. When your mind wanders, and you just all of a sudden, yeah, you're like unconsciously driving, and then you're like, wait. How did I get home or how did I get to this place? Because you've done it so many times, but your mind, you know, your conscious mind's somewhere else, but you're still you're in a trance, really. Or like, say, for example, um, I'm sure you, you guys like watching movies, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Is there is there a movie that you, you go to December that uh, you love?
2: This is probably going to shock you all, but I have like a bedtime movie that's like my it's almost like a security blanket for me that I probably watched no less than Three to four times a week, <laughs> no. is it? like I love it. if we're going to bed, like I put it on to unwind and go to sleep. I like go to sleep to this like a lullaby, and it's gonna shock you what this is. It's Sword in the Stone, the cartoon.
5: <laughs> oh, oh my god! With the animals, I,
2: right? Yeah, with the with the with, with Merlin, the yeah. wizard, and all that. Like, um, there's like three. There's like three. There's that. There's Aristocats <laughs> and Mary Poppins. <laughs> like no one probably ever assumed that about me but yeah i usually i have a hard time going to sleep winding down my brain is so loud you know what i'm saying so i like go through this whole ritual to go to sleep like take a shower lay down put on this cartoon like and rest in it it helps me go to bed go to sleep
5: (laughs) that's crazy well Mm -hmm. i mean you're using hypnosis already just in a different way so whenever Mm -hmm. we watch a movie i mean you're you're entranced you're so caught up in this in this wonderful movie and the characters um the story, right? You you know it's just a story, but somehow watching a good movie elicits all these emotions even though you know it's a, it's a cartoon or uh, there's acting involved, right? But it still works. So like works. that would be just a natural example of of trance or hypnosis.
1: Yeah, well I we haven't um, thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, Justin, I want to back up to something you said at the very beginning, which is that you see the Bible as allegorical. I wonder if you can just talk a little more about that. Um, how do you how do you see the Bible as allegory? What's it an allegory of?
5: It's an allegory of us. Mm. Because Christ is your own wonderful human imagination. And man is all imagination. Mm. So I would say like scripture, I know this is, I mean, part of me doesn't even believe this, right? I'm like Justin, what are you saying? Um, <laughs> but scripture is a, the story of us, the story of you, the story of me, that we're going to go through all these different states of consciousness. And so I'm really um, influenced by different New Thought authors, and specifically a New Thought author, an American mystic uh, named Neville Goddard. And he talked about this, which is really fascinating. Him and Joseph Murphy, which, who wrote The Power of, of Your Subconscious Mind. And they they use scripture, but just in a different way. They like use it in like a more positive thinking kind of way, and like more to explain psych- psychological states. So um, I don't know if that answers the question there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're it, it's a more modern kind of approach to allegory versus like in the there's an ancient school of like allegorical interpretation of the Bible. It doesn't sound like you're talking about that so much,
5: but more no, as a, I,
1: a kind of new way of understanding scripture.
5: Yes, this is definitely a more modern um, allegory, and it's probably influenced by Eastern thought as well. But uh, yeah, there's definitely, I think I am in good company in the broader sense where like people, you know, Jews and Christians, ancient interpreters, they did view things as allegory. Even like Paul in um, Galatians 4, you know, talking about Sarah and Hagar, and he's like, now this can be interpreted allegorically. It's like, huh? Huh? Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who says? But yeah, um, but yeah, this is more more of a modern type of uh, allegory, and like obviously very different from probably what Paul thought and other interpreters.
1: Probably that's not a bad thing.
5: So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One thing you said um, early on was that you do not believe that the Bible is the word of God. I am, I am of the, I am in my deconstruction process, and more and more leaning toward um that idea i still i still believe some of it is inspired by god but i am far pretty far away from that fact that it's God's word, it's infallible, you know, what they teach you, what they hypnotize you to believe, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is our brainwashing it's the infallible word of God. And you know, it, it doesn't contradict itself, this and that. It does contradict itself all over the place, which is why a lot of people have a problem um with it. But I'm in the I'm in the place now where it is words about God <laughs> written by men concerning what they thought about God through the lens uh, that they had at the time. So can you just expand a little bit on what you think it is? I understand that you think it's allegorical, but what is it? Or is it just like any other sacred text? It's just, it shouldn't be. um, I know a lot of Christians elevate the Bible above everything and everyone, right? As the word, like it is God itself. Like the word is God itself. Um, And so because they consider the word God itself, almost everything else is like a false doctrine. It doesn't, it's not real. You know, you need to be converted, you know, all that you going to hell, all that stuff. So where are you at with it? If it's not the word of God, what is it? Is it just words or is there some power to it?
5: Great question. And maybe I might change my mind, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, who knows, or even tomorrow, right? Let me preface it by saying that I'm a multiplicity of thinkers and so even though, yeah, there's a part of me that that sees the Bible as psychological states and allegory, but I can also kind of put on my, I'd say, skeptical hat, my uh, critical historian hat, so to speak. And I would say that the Bible is a very human text. And that's not a bad or a good thing. It's like humans write really amazing things like poetry and literature. And it's like it's... It's going to be flawed, but there's also going to be parts that are very, very inspired. And so um, I would say for me, because I've been so heavily influenced by the Judeo-Christian tradition, and I I do love the Bible still, just in a different way, I do think it is a book of wisdom. Is it inspired? I think parts of it can be inspired, but mm-hmm. um, this really, I think it comes back down to you get to be the authority. Like, what's resonating with you? What's making sense in your inner knowing, right? In your soul, so to speak.
1: Well, let me, I'll jump into, when we say word of God, I find that to be super ambiguous. Like, I don't really know what that means. We we kind of know what it, um, we know what it means. But when we just say the word of God, like, the actually, Jesus is the word. Like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the word, not the words on the page. And so I find like just that it's kind of it it triggers a whole set of responses from us, right? Like the word of God and inspiration was not a criteria for the Bible, for like putting putting the Bible in any kind of order for the New Testament. It's, that's a very modern thing. And so I find I think I think you asked me this, like, oh, do you see the word is inspired or the Bible's inspired? I'm like, no. I don't. And I'm very, very comfortable with that. I see it as super interesting and informative and parts of it are wise and then parts of it are super not wise too. Um, so I, yeah, I love that we can kind of pick that, uh, pick that apart. So uh, Justin, how did you get from, I, I, it, it
2: sounds like you, like you said, you come from a Judeo Christian background from, how did you get from there to that pendulum has swung so far. <laughs> you, you know, Judeo-Christian <laughs> All the way over here. Now you hypnotizing folks. Put them in the, you want them in a transformation. What happened yeah. to be you not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? What happened to all that? You know how to get from over there to over here?
5: You know, I still believe that. <laughs> I think that's what I'm doing, and and what we can all do is is be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Yes, I really do believe that. Um, so just briefly, like I'm I'm in Texas, so you know what I like to say is in Texas we love. Guns, we love steak, and we love Jesus. So, like, that's my background. And, like, there's three churches on every corner. It's not an exaggeration. Like, there's just so much there. And so, I grew up believing all the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals of the Bible is the Word of God, it is infallible, it's inerrant. Uh, uh, Jesus is truly God and truly man, the second person in the Trinity, you know, born of a virgin, bodily raised, all that good stuff. So, but I would say, right around the time. I did campus ministry for a few years on the college and then two years as a part-time campus minister, but coming out and transitioning from that, there was a series of events that I felt like it made me take a step back and just rethink some things. There was some pain involved. There was, um, there was an interesting breakup where people that I respected, like prophetic voices that I respected cause I was in the charismatic movement and all that, and that craziness. Um, they were telling me like that you and this girl, like you guys are meant to be like, she's your soulmate essentially not in those words, but like that, that kind of language. Right. And that, that totally ended. So that, that was like a huge, like, Whoa, like what? Like I trusted these people. I trusted that they were hearing from God. And so that made me just take a step back. And I was in a lot of, pain, I wasn't seeing this like victorious life in Christ that we were promised. And I was looking around uh, other Christians and they're like, yeah, they're kind of in the same boat here. It's it's where is this victorious life? And so I just, I started to distance myself from just going to the church and just the Bible because I knew that stuff. I knew all the right Sunday school answers and yet I was in deep, deep pain. So I'm like, okay, maybe the world, quote unquote, the world has something to offer some wisdom right something in like personal development and i would say they started to challenge just a few things right my sexual uh views like purity culture and all these things then i started to just question other things like if i'm wrong about this maybe i'm wrong about some other things and so i just explored like this this uh uh journey of deconstruction, I'd say. Like I started listening to different podcasts. Eventually I came to the heretic happy hour. Um I can't remember when the timeline is kind of fuzzy, but um I started reading books, not as an evangelist, not as an apologist, but as a student of saying like I could be very, very wrong about everything I believe. And there was a brief stint where I studied uh NDE's near-death experiences. So that was probably formative in that in that search. And that opened me up to like, I guess, quote, unquote, new age spirituality. And so I would start reading things about um, like this, these new thought thinkers who use the Bible in a very different way, right? In a much more positive thinking kind of way, um, spiritualizing the text, allegorizing the text. And it just like, there's something in me that resonated with that. Um, and from there, I eventually stumbled upon uh, Neville Goddard, who's really shaped a lot of my views.
1: And you became a hypnotist?:
5: Oh, yeah, so okay, all right. Oh no, you know what I need, I need to, I need to say this. okay. <laughs> or hypnotherapist. So yes, yes. um along that path, because it was it was both deconstructing my Christian views but also like looking at my pain and and my trauma and like all the dysfunctional behavior patterns and thinking patterns that I had, and so I hired different coaches and therapists to help me with that, and there's one coach specifically who was a really, he was a very loving guy, very interesting guy. And I remember on the first call that we got on, he had me imagine that, you know, imagine your awareness is spreading out in the sky. And like, this awareness is a loving awareness and it's expanding more and more. And like, as he was doing that, I just started crying. I'm like, I felt this immense, crazy, unconditional love and he just like he was just like looking at me, and he was like, "You've been running away from God, haven't you?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah." And you went. The crazy part was, this guy wasn't Christian. <laughs> this wow. guy was he, he believed in Hinduism, and so like he would have me chant the name of Ram, was which is a Hindu deity, and it screwed with me because on calls with this guy, I would feel what I thought was the Holy Spirit. I would feel these like these states of bliss and uh, unconditional love. And I got to a point where he actually did bring me to the feet of Christ, weirdly enough. And I felt this unconditional love to where I was like, oh, I get the New Testament. I understand that's what it's about. Like, it's not the letter. It's the spirit. The spirit of the New Testament is love. So that was probably a huge, huge formative time where it it is about love. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you're a Hindu. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist, a Christian. It doesn't, you know, we're all human. So yeah, hopefully I answered that question.
2: I think I think you did. I think you did. I think you answered well. Um, I think it's interesting that pain had so much influence over your journey. And I think a lot of people have have uh pain has been a catalyst for them to ask more questions. I was in a training Um, the other day, and the lady said something that was simple, but profound to me. uh, That was, you have to ask the right questions to get the right answers. And what I find that a lot of Christians don't ask questions. They don't because they apparently have all the answers. And once we realize we don't have all the answers, that's when we ask more questions. (laughs) You know, if you think about when we are all young, probably our Our most uh, repeated question, our rerun question was why after everything? Why, 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 why? Um, What is it that happens to us that we get so grown and so we think so informed and we think so wise and so educated that we stop asking why? And I think for Christians and for many Christians, they have stopped asking why. I'm so glad you have not stopped. And I am continuing to ask why. And I'm continuing to be surprised by the answers I'm getting when I ask. (laughs) You know, why, why can't, uh, why can't Krishna or Buddha or whoever, uh, why can't those things have been real? If I could believe in a guy who was born of a virgin, who she got pregnant by the Holy ghost and you know what I'm saying? All this stuff, or God created some folks and dropped them down into the garden of Eden and they created the whole world. All that stuff sounds nonsensical and fantastical to other people, but if it could be real to me, and I haven't decided. I'm, I'm in a place where I'm trying to decide if it is real. But if it could be real to me, then whatever whatever anyone else's believes it can also be real. I think I find that Christianity seems to believe, or Christians seem to believe, they have the monopoly on what is real, on reality itself. And your your website is redeem your reality. I love that um, because that reality, as we grow and as we evolve, it changes. My reality today will be different tomorrow for my children who are nine and 10, the things that they think today will be so far away from them when they turn 16, 18, 21, you know, and as we evolve, as we evolve our reality changes, our reality changes from day to day. That's been my experience. And that's what I hear from you. And thank God, because there's so many people that you're helping with this deconstruction to get away from that guilt and that shame, because believe it or not, as much as Christianity preaches love, that's the last thing on the totem pole when it comes to Christianity. That guilt, that shame, that fear of hell—that's top of the list everywhere you go, whatever church door you walk through. That's what—that's what the—that's what, the, what the overarching theme is going to be: how to get out of hell free with the blood of Jesus.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's evangelicalism. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and evangelicalism. Not in all. Not in all of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. With, well, Justin, I'm kind of curious—is that that is kind of what you help people with, though, right? Who are coming out of that you know that exact scenario that December described
5: exactly yeah and I realized going through my journey and then seeing people who are in this deconstruction space have all of these issues from evangelicalism absolutely like this is what I specialize in like helping people with religious trauma and that's such a broad term you know trauma is subjective um it is and it's not exactly what happens to us it's the subconscious interpretation, the meaning that the internal uh meaning and experience, that's that's the trauma. And so yes, absolutely I I help people in this in this space of religious trauma to uh come come to a good, like neutral place where they are self accepting, where they don't have the fear of hell and they can move on with their lives.
1: So Justin, you mentioned that in When you were on a call with one of your coaches, and I I think the one who had you chanting the name Rom, you said he helped bring you to the feet of Christ, and that's a super juicy thing to say. And we can't leave that stone unturned. So tell us exactly like what what that experience was like, or you know, as much as you can, and kind of like who is Jesus to you now in this new way of being.
5: Yeah, it's um, it's still a question I wrestle with for sure. Um. But yeah, so by the way, the reason why I mentioned this coach is because he's the one that got me into hypnosis. And he he told me like, hey, look into self-hypnosis. It's the most powerful thing you can do. So I'm like, okay, I did. But um, yeah, he just like one one of the, uh, I guess, sessions, he just had me visualize. He had me visualize that I was at the feet of Christ and I was learning from him. And when that happened, I don't, I don't know what it was. It must have been like the right time at the right place, like my heart opened, and it felt like I, I, again, described it like unconditional love. It was almost like the heart broke open, and like I wanted to take the pain of the world, much like Christ did. It was like I was, I was grieving, but, but from a place of love. Like I, I loved the world it was it was strange like i was channeling christ i don't like that language but that's what it felt like and then like i i understood like again i understood you know john 15 like my commandments are not burdensome right like it's you know if if you abide in me and i in you right you're going to bear much fruit and it's not a burden and so I'm like, I'm like feeling all this love. And I'm like, yeah, like, oh my gosh, the New Testament makes sense. Like, I get it. All this stuff that I learned, all like, I'm trying to like under, understand the Greek and the Hebrew and the syntax and the grammar and what is exegete the text. Like, no, like all of that is interesting. I like that like an intellectual level, but like all of that was bullshit compared to like what I'm I'm experiencing right now, which is this unconditional love. So I don't know where I was going with that. It is a beautiful, beautiful spot to be in. You know, I
1: mean, yeah. You're. I mean, it sounds like you had a direct experience of Christ.
5: Yes, which is what yeah. our
1: hopefully our journey brings us to at different points in it, and they're not all going to be that intense, or not for most of us. Most of us can't, um, at least my 3D body can't handle that intensity all day, every day. But when we get those experiences, um, they're they're so beautiful, and they. I mean, it sounds like from what you said, and certainly from my experience, they supersede any of the other stuff that gets in the way.
5: A hundred percent. Yeah. And now I remember your question, like, who is Jesus to me? Um, and that is a great, great question. I think somehow he is a spiritual teacher. I don't know if I would use the language of ascended master, but I know other people do. And other people have experienced, uh, strangely enough, via hypnosis uh Jesus there have been stories about that um i do think i regard him as a spiritual teacher you know um i pray to jesus every once in a while but i don't see him as like my quote unquote personal lord and savior right i think that we're one and jesus and i are one and he was he was a wonderful teacher but if you don't resonate with him if there's still that religious trauma and and you know, don't, don't go to Jesus, find your own path. Like this is, this is all just my personal experience.
1: Well, it's, I know a, a huge thing for, for me, and this was really not that long ago in my journey. So I just, I don't know if this is going to resonate with you or December with you, but it is that as, as a Jesus follower, I didn't have a monopoly on Jesus or on like mother Mary or any of these other important figures for Christianity. And I realized that I have all these colleagues and, and friends and other people that I don't know who are actually in close relationship with those beings, with, with Jesus, but they don't identify with kind of any part of the Christian tradition. And that was really hard for me to get my mind wrapped around. And I'm so glad I did because they bring such gifts to my journey. They, they see things in Jesus that I would never see.
2: Right, right. I I, I I, can identify with that. There's people that are in my circle of friends that say, you know, <laughs> they don't want much to do with Christianity, but they do love the idea or concept of Christ, um, the teachings in the Bible and that kind of thing. I was thinking, um, too, about what you said when you said he had you to to chant or say the name. Can you tell me what the name was again? Did you say Rom? Rom.
5: Ram. R-A-M. Ram. R-A-M. Ram.
2: Okay, because um, that that was similar to a name of you know that they have the names of God. Y'all ever seen that? And there's Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord my Shepherd. And I was thinking, in in, in you said it, it, it felt like you were under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and it brought you to the feet of Christ. And I'm wondering if if we Christians. Well, uh, I don't identify as a Christian anymore, but Christianity in general, the scope is so narrow about how God is defined and who he is that we refuse to believe that he could go by another name in another place, in another country, on another continent, in another culture and still be the same God, that our, our our scope is so narrow of him that we would package him up and put him in our back pocket and close him up in our Bible, that we could not believe that he could go by another name, that he might have walked the earth in another country by another name, and still been the same God. And there's so many names for God, you know, y'all heard some of them, El Shaddai, Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord he heals, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. All those things that we probably heard before, Elohim. And, you know, in the, the Muslim faith, they call them Allah or whatever the case. And I think that the more you grow in God, the more you grow out of church and religion. This is my personal experience. And it sounds like it might be yours and also maybe Katie's, but the closer I get to God, the further I get away from religion and the the wider and the bigger and the taller and the deeper he becomes. And I'm so less inclined to tell somebody who he is and who he isn't because who am I? (laughs) You know what I mean? Christianity is so, there's so much hubris. There's so much, um, you know, there's so much ego. There's so much there that that tells that tells somebody who they can and cannot believe in who God is or isn't. At least that's my experience. And I'm, my mind is opening up. And I think that's something that you do from what I'm listening to that helps people to, um, you said you don't like to say channel Christ, but I think that's a good thing. Why not? <laughs> not channel what people think he is or what we've been taught he is. But channel the Christ, I think that's could be a good thing, right? If you could be the channel of Christ into the earth and be His hands and His feet, but I think um, we have to open our minds up to 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 not exclude God from anyone or anything. And when yeah. we do that, then I think that we've embraced God when we don't put any limits on Him, Her, Them, or They. What do you think, Katie?
1: <laughs> well, I want to, and well, my you know, my experience is is fairly different uh, because I'm a member of a, a progressive. Christian community, and so it was actually for me being in the church in Berkeley, you know, of all places, uh, what other places to learn about New Age stuff that brought me in closer alignment to Christ, because my mm. church accepted that I could be on that journey. So I think it's all about finding the right fit, um, and the de- deconstruction journey is different for everyone. But I do want to um, let everyone know who Ram is because I didn't know it's not a name that I recognize, and so this is directly from Wikipedia. A major deity in Hinduism, the seventh and one of the most popular avatars of Vishnu. So Vishnu was a name I recognized more, but my knowledge Mm -hmm. of Hinduism can pretty much be written on an index card, a little index card. Same here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know much about it. (laughs) Me neither. Oh my gosh. Uh Justin what what a beautiful story and um wow yeah like like december said the pendulum has swung from your you know your charismatic roots to now uh helping people helping people through their charismatic and evangelical deconstruction. Um so where can people find you? Um you do you do so many things. Where's the best place for people to find you out there in the world?
5: Yeah, um I'm fairly active on Facebook, so I believe my Facebook handle is justin.trance.tang or you can go on my website, uh, www.redeemyourreality.com.
1: Cool. So everyone, we're going to have a bunch of heretics getting hypnotized. <laughs> I
5: love <laughs> like really it. really
0: soon. <laughs> They're going to write in.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so I'm much
0: for, for being
5: it. here. Thank you. This was this was awesome. Thank you so much for the invitation.
1: Isn't Justin awesome. so amazing? Yeah. I know. Yeah. He Kynologist, does such cool
3: yeah. work.
4: Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. A lot
3: to t- <laughs> say to all of us for sure. So with that interview uh, and this heretic duly honored, today's theme is continuing our What If series, and it's What If Christmas Weren't Real? And I think that begs the question, what exactly is Christmas? What do we mean by Christmas? Which parts of it do we think are real? Which parts do we think aren't real? I know we've all got some stories about what Christmas means to us. I wonder who'd be willing to jump in.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll say this. I was not raised celebrating Christmas. I was raised being, I was raised Jehovah's Witness and I was always taught that it was pagan along with Easter and all these other, we didn't celebrate anything. We didn't even celebrate birthdays because it's apparently that would make you too prideful and then, you know, you might get your head cut off or something. Now, I don't know. But either way, uh, <laughs> somebody might get their head cut off. Somebody got drunk and had somebody's head chopped off on their birthday. And so now we don't get to celebrate birthdays because, you know, I don't know. But anyways, I, I was raised not celebrating any of these things. So I, I didn't start till I was older With when I had kids and they, I didn't want them to be left out. I didn't want them to feel like I felt when I was coming up. And so I, I, I would say this, if if there weren't any Christmas, uh I believe that we would fill that space with something else. Um it, it, it's Christmas is such a um it's such a man-made thing, right? So it, we could apply spirituality to it, we could take away from it. It's 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 almost like play-doh for me, because where I come from, it's what it's whatever you make it for me. So it doesn't have that um foundational. A place in my heart. Like a lot of people have all these memories growing up when they are kids and being at their grandma's house and all of a sudden, I don't have that kind of foundational memory. Um, so I, for me personally, if Christmas, if there was no Christmas, I guess it just wouldn't be no damn
1: Christmas. I, Cause I didn't grow up with it <laughs> with did, most did you half feel, of my life. So. Did you feel deprived when you were little or did it just feel like normal to you? I was so pissed off every <laughs> year. Yeah, deprived ain't even a word.
2: that I, I felt like, you know, you know how they have those commercials come on and, in the arms of the angels. And they had the children and show on the children in Ethiopia or wherever they at that need some food. I felt like that, like that, like I was on the outskirts of humanity. Because all my friends were talking about their gifts and what they was doing and the presents. And I was just like over here like, mm. feeling like, you know, so when I was a kid, yeah, I really felt left out. And that's one reason why I allow my kids to celebrate it now because I understand, pagan or not or whatever we make, every holiday is just another day that someone put a definition on. Sure. You get to define that day. It's whatever day it falls on. As a matter of fact, it falls on a different day every year. This year it's going to be what Sunday or Saturday or something. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Sunday.
2: Yeah, next year it's going to be Monday. So it's not the day; it's the definition. And you get to define that however you want to. So for me, it's just family and hanging out and making sure my kids are smiling and this and that kind of thing. Um, like I said, when I was younger, I felt like I was missing out on the world. And now I'm like, eh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's so, my story about it. If it didn't exist, it just wouldn't, I guess.
3: So it's interesting that you say that because when when I was growing up, I've, I've mentioned before, my mother's Scottish Presbyterian. My father was Hindu from India, specifically from West Bengal. And... We, we had a whole Bengali community in Akron where I grew up. And, you know, different people hosted different gatherings for us. But every year, my mother was in charge of, of Christmas. And I think they were like, she's the Christian. So she understands how to do this. And I remember one year, she mentioned that the first time she got to visit India to visit my father's family, she went On Christmas and I remember saying oh that must have been kind of sad you know India is 85% Hindu 10% Muslim 5% other stuff and and she was like actually when I was there I met a a really devout Hindu man and he said oh you're Christian on the 25th of December every single year I fast and I spend the entire day meditating on the life of Jesus Christ
4: wow and she just found
3: herself thinking oh, this dude does Christmas better than the rest of us do, right? Yeah, and I just loved that. It was so revelatory to me. I really appreciated, like like you said, December, Christmas is what you make it. And that dude, who was not Christian, made it a much more substantive thing than I, we usually absolutely. do. Absolutely,
2: There's much more quality to that than going into debt, getting gifts and stuff and dealing with all these entitled little brats running around expecting you to go broke for the sake of Santa Claus, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think I might rather much meditate and think about the life of Christ than be bothered with all that foolery.
4: Yeah. Oh, man. Anyone else have a have a Christmas story?
1: Well, I, I have lots of good Christmas memories uh, from growing up. But when I was uh, in my 20s and living far away from my family, uh, finally, after a few years of trying to go home, and it's too crazy, too expensive, and as as an adult, I really hate feeling obligated. Um, I, I just dislike being told where I'm supposed to be and when and for what holidays and then people having ex- high expectations and getting mad uh, at each other. So I was like, yeah, no, I'm staying in California. My grandmother was really mad at me and uh, bless her heart. She's 94 now. She's probably still mad about it because uh, I haven't gone home since. It's been 20 years. And she sent me a typed Christmas card that said, dearest Katie, Christmas is a time for family. Love, grandma.
0: Wow. <laughs>
3: shade for so grandma it gets it gets put Ooh, on my grand refrigerator, refrigerator grand for every year yeah wow.
1: <laughs> so, so now i keep christmas these days my spouse and i we keep christmas very simple uh, we do cards we usually cook something non-traditional so we don't feel obligated to make a whole bunch of like stuff you're supposed to and uh and it's quite joyous and i relate it to the solstice and the time of year and have fun
4: yeah i <clears throat> i was trying actually you guys were all talking i was trying to think like what 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 a good christmas story i could share um I'll just share this. I think th- this was a significant thing. This was when my boys were much older. We were living in Southern California. And there was a, when we were still at, we were at the church, the the last church I ever was on staff at before we left and started the house church thing. Um, and there was a, there was a woman, a single mom in our church and she had a, uh, a son and he was kind of special needs, <clears throat> uh, kid. And, um, Anyway, he wanted a Christmas. They had never had Christmas. They had, as a family, they had never had a tree or lights or gifts under the tree or anything like that. They were they just never really had anything like that. So they were really kind of poor. She she was working. Um, she actually ended up we had just found out a few months before that she had a, a diagnosis with a brain tumor. So there was another layer of like, oh my gosh, like they really need help. So anyway, a bunch of people from our church and another church, which is really cool. There were two different churches that came together and um we raised a bunch of money. We all went over to her apartment. We had a, we brought a tree. We brought the lights. We brought the tinsel. We brought the gifts. People have bought gift cards and, and grocery store, you know, cards and stuff. Gift cards for them to buy groceries and food and all that stuff. In, in addition to all the fun kind of gifts and stuff, and you know, we go into her house. We we make you know put up the Christmas tree, put up the lights, we, we decorate the house, we put the gifts under the tree, we give her the gift cards, you know, and you know the goal was to bless her socks off, right? And, um, and then before we left, so, you know, so we were kind of in that mode of like, yay, look at us, look what we're doing. And then before we left, she like, she says, can we pray? And so she, she holds everybody's hand and she prays a blessing over us. Oh my gosh, man, it broke me. I was just like, wow, we walked out, we were walking out to the car. So it was me and Wendy and my sons, Dylan and David, and we're walking out to the car. And I, when we got to the car, I just stopped. And I said, I told Wendy, that's all I want for Christmas right there. That, you know what i'm i'm at that point i decided that's christmas it's it's being able to bless somebody and give to somebody and just like i said you know i don't i don't want any gifts for christmas uh because i just got it that was it and and actually that event was so powerful for us uh, our, from that point on our family and my this is my kids who were teenagers by then um we decided christmas we weren't going to buy gifts for each other because we all year long we get what we want we buy stuff all the time and it was like, we don't need anything. We got so much crap already. So we wanted to shift Christmas to being like, we want to do that kind of thing. We want to find someone and just bless their socks off because that that was way better than opening up a box with some socks in it or whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, that was that was probably one of the biggest Christmas shifts for me. Like that kind of really changed my mind about the whole Christmas thing.
3: So it's interesting because I feel like what's hidden in all of our stories is this notion of um which parts of christmas we don't think are real or definitely at least don't need to be preserved and also what other people have told us christmas is and isn't so when we're asking that question of what if christmas weren't real which parts are we talking about there's different versions of the christmas story even in the bible there are different parts that different people think are important um katie already introduced herself to us as uh the virgin and we all had a good laugh um and i'm thinking about um god i can't remember if it was diana butler bass or possibly heretic of the week uh, from a previous episode elaine pagels did this presentation at a church and everybody's grilling her at this church about the virgin birth because that was like the hot topic uh, late 90s early 2000s everybody keeps pushing her on this which makes me think it wasn't elaine pagels because whoever it was didn't really want to answer the question
4: um yeah, Elaine and there are all
3: there. these, yeah, <laughs> Elaine Pagels would have absolutely answered that question. So there are all these youth sitting up in the balcony looking bored out of their minds. Their youth pastor thought it would be a good opportunity and they were just so bored. So as soon as she gets done presenting, she makes a beeline for the youth and she says, okay, everybody was asking me this question about the virgin birth. What do you all think? do you think that the virgin birth is true or not? And one of the kids says to her, it's such a beautiful story. It must be true whether it happened or not. And I loved that story because I think this question of like, what my pastor, when I was growing up, used to call stories of truth versus true stories because he was actually trying to train us in, don't read the Bible as a factual document, read it as a spiritual document that is trying to teach you stuff, right? Um, which made life a lot easier for me than for some of my friends who went to different churches. So I'm wondering, when we say if Christmas weren't real, what parts of the story are we talking about? Which parts would we we adapt to? Or if none of it had happened, December, you already said, if none of it had happened, we would just find something else to fill the void. And I know that some people would argue it was created to fill a void Hmm. from pre-Christian traditions. So... What do y'all think? I feel like we're about to jump into the
1: territory of like we can just get right to the punchline of the after-school special. Christmas is always in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of Christmas is always Can't in your heart. And play the music. Yes,
4: exactly.
1: Are there still after-school specials? <laughs> I don't know. Is no. That
4: still okay. No, well, but they were mind. awesome, though, weren't they? Yes, yes they were so yes, great. But, I love it. So, yes. Which parts? Yeah. Well, it's tough because I mean, with that setup, Shonda, it's sort of like to have this discussion, you know, you're right. There are, there, there's this, this, this layer of like, well, things that are true in sort of transcendent spiritual ways. And then there's these parts of the story that are sort of factual things like, okay, come on. Um. Did the shepherds really see like a million angels singing and then they run off and find this baby? Um, was there a virgin birth? Were these three magi running around, knocking on doors, trying to give away gold and frankincense? Um, <clears throat> you know, so I think on on one level we can have a discussion about what things we think are really happened and which things we think are sort of embellished or added to the story. Um, like for example, we pretty, pretty sure. I believe, I think I'd heard some, a lot of scholarship that, um, if we could figure out, if we could kind of uh, throw a dart at a calendar and figure out when Jesus was actually born, it was probably sometime in June or July, probably not in December 25th. Um, and we know, like Katie said, like that was borrowed from other traditions and things like that. Um, so yeah, we could we can drill down and say, well, this is part of the story isn't true, or we don't think it's true, or was this not that. Um, and I guess we probably could do some of that. But at the same time, yeah, I, I think there is still like – if you just take it as a story, there are things about it that are really beautiful and that are spiritually significant, quote unquote, true, that we can still hang on to that are valuable. Right. Um, But something you said, Shonda, I think we just need to at least say this or, or, you know, emphasize this because you, you made a comment about how there's two, you know, the, the, the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible has two different, Christmas stories, nativity stories. And what's funny is that like for my whole growing up as a Southern Baptist, if you had said that to me, I'd be like, what? No, what are you talking about? No, there's only one story, but it isn't true. If you just read Matthew and you only had Matthew, you didn't have Luke. Um, you would have one idea of what happened, but if you only had Luke and you didn't have Matthew, you'd have a completely different idea, right? Because they each add these different elements and or and leave out other elements, right? So in Matthew the Magi are in that story. The, the focus is on Joseph because he has the dream and all that stuff. Um, they, they go to Egypt, you know, because Hera's going to kill them. And that's so that fulfills the prophecy, which wasn't really a prophecy, that he would call his anointed one out of Egypt. But Luke doesn't have that. Uh, Luke has an emphasis on Mary. Um, instead of the Magi, they're the shepherds. And uh, you know, so like it, it's it's really different, and there's no they don't go to Egypt, it's like after he's born, they go back to Nazareth, so it's really different, you know there really are two different stories, and that alone, like even if you just said, "Okay, let's look at these Bible stories, you kind of have to decide which one of those you think is real because they can't actually you can't harmonize some of those things, like especially the flight to Egypt, either they ran to Egypt and lived there for a couple of years and came back or after he was born, they just went straight back to Nazareth. So you, you know what I mean? It's like one of these happened, one of them didn't. Which one is real? And there, and it's interesting that they are two different stories. Um, I think um, it was either Bart Ehrman or someone like that who said, "You know, we're today we're really big on harmonizing the gospels." But what's fascinating about that is that pretty pretty fair chance uh, that those gospel writers were aware that there were other stories and they didn't try to harmonize them. So why are we? They were more like, "No, that guy's full of shit." Here's what really happened, <laughs> and you know what I mean. Like, they didn't try to go, "Oh, well, I got to work that part in. I got to make that work." Right. They they didn't care. It was like, you know, I'm going to tell you what my version is. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Well, they were competing uh, for just, the best
1: Bible spot. You know.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Who's going to be Which, the top who's going to make
1: it? Who's going to who's going to make it in home run here? Yeah. <laughs> and my my
2: question on this is uh, after listening uh, while I'm listening to you all is. Uh, we're, we'll we say that the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. <laughs> is that what's supposed to... Is that true? Well, well, yeah, that's, to... even that.
1: Do we even know that? Probably not. Know, it's no, it's not signed. That's a name we've given it. I mean, kind of like... Right. It, December, it's kind of like you said, like Christmas is a day that we've made into a holiday, right? The, mm-hmm. Yeah. The first yeah, gospel is just a gospel we call Matthew. Yeah.
2: yeah I was just thinking, you know, whoever, whoever wrote it, uh, we're going to say John Doe. Uh, whoever wrote it, <laughs> they weren't there. They weren't in the room where it happened. So mm-hmm. um, it's like, where did they get, how was it passed down? Was this mm-hmm. a traditional story that was passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down? And I, I don't know about you all, but if, if you all have ever played the game telephone, yeah. Um, however the story is passed down and passed around, it's not going to get to that last person the same as it started out with the first person. Something's gonna be added, something's gonna be misheard, something's gonna be left out, something's gonna you know what I'm saying? And so for me, I'm just wondering as I'm listening, the question that comes that's coming up in my mind about which parts are true, I would say none of it is true. All of it is truth somebody heard something right so if you if you if you start with a telephone line game of five kids and you give you know the adult gives the kids something to say the red goose jumped over the cat or whatever by the time it gets to that fifth kid it's going to sound a little bit different um and none of it's going to be true cuz the red goose didn't jump over no cat but each one of them heard something and each one of them could testify to what they heard only None of them saw the red goose do shit, okay? So ain't none of them <laughs> been a witness to the red goose jumping over the damn cat. But they all heard that it happened, and yeah. they all heard a version of it, and they're telling, well, this was what I was told. Mm-hmm. and it, it, I, you, know, you know what I'm saying. So it comes down over these hundreds of years, and this is the story. Who knows if any of it is true? The thing is, yeah. to him that believes it is true, to that person it is truth. That's the bottom line. And that's why we are, you know, the the holiday itself, even the scriptures, um, it's truth to him that believes it is true. That's it. That doesn't make it true or false. It's truth to that person that believes. That's it. And that's all. So to them that do not believe in Christmas, okay, they don't believe. To them that do, they do. And for the folks like me that are Christmas, I'm agnostically Christmas. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm, I can, I can do with or I can do without it with the Christmas yeah. stuff. Um, for me, it's just like, okay, we make our own tradition with this. Is we're not going by that or this story because just one thing we have to understand about the scriptures is everyone is most of the scripture is written, um by folks who did not witness it happen, right? Like reporters, what we could consider reporters and journalists, right? Mm -hmm. Or recorders of times or scribes or whatever you want to call it. The folks that wrote it weren't there when the shit went down. They weren't in the room when it happened. So we have to take their word for it that that's how it went down. Do we, we don't know what if they was, was reading how it went down or heard how it went down It's like that ain't enough spice on it. I'm gonna put some hot sauce in here. The <laughs> skies opened up and the Lord said, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased that might have that shit might have not even happened like that. you know whatever the case, they might have decided it wasn't spicy enough and they needed to put some hot sauce on it and this is what I'm do. I'm gonna embellish this story because I needed to look a little you know what I'm saying I needed to be a little more cinematography on it you know I don't know what I'm saying is none of it is true. To them that believe it is truth, to that person, to those people, to that group, to that church, to that religion, to that sect, to that village, to whatever, to them it is the truth.
3: But I got to say, so, I mean, as you're talking about it, I'm looking at, uh, I'm thinking about the two different versions that we've got and um, they're they are written to highlight different things right, right. like the the matthew version is kind of like look at all the important people who are paying attention listen mm-hmm. to the story of the man who's central to the story the luke version is highlighting people who were considered very unimportant i think you know as we're asking this question about uh what if christmas weren't real i have never been able to shake the story i heard from a missionary who told me that during the seventies the Sandinistas would get together and recite the Magnificat, right? The, the portion of Mary, you know, when Mary and Elizabeth see each other and Mary kind of says praise to God who has brought the high, the proud low, and who has filled the hungry up, but left the rich, um, sent the rich away empty. They would say that to each other before they went into battle with the Somoza dictatorship's army. Right. And so, there is a part of me that thinks if if Christmas weren't real, if Christmas didn't happen, if we didn't have a ritual celebrating it, at least the Luke version for me would be a huge uh loss to the movement for social justice where a lot of us see ourselves in the Magnificat, who see ourselves in um who God's showing up on the side of.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
3: So I really I really like teaching the Christmas story
1: um, and to showing people the differences between Matthew and Luke and all of that kind of thing. I think it's fun. I also love it that at the point at which these were written, um, so these Gospels are, you know, we guess it's all in flux like around 80 or 90 or so, and the Christmas stories themselves may have been added later, even like tacked on kind of after that. But I love it that people cared enough to write these very thoughtful stories with tons of allusions to the Hebrew scriptures and give, give Jesus this origin story. Like there's something, there's a, it's like a Christmas story in a Christmas story. Someone cared enough to create a little, you know, a little baby story and put it in with all of these different themes. Uh, and I, I just really like all of that part of it. Um, and there's, there's in both stories, really Jesus' death is also foreshadowed and I hate the Christmas cards that will send you, like, a picture of the manger and say, like, this turns into the cross. <laughs> but there's, yeah. there's some kind of, like, there's, there's a little bit of truth of that, right? Like, the, the Christmas stories hint that Jesus is here for the purpose of, of a death. Um, so Ma- uh, Matthew does that with the gift of myrrh, because myrrh is what you would anoint dead bodies with. And Luke does that by placing Jesus in a manger, which was a trough. For animals to eat from. So like he's being consumed by the world. So I, I like, I like kind of mm. the nuances or, or I'm not even sure how nuanced they are, uh, but those parts of the story. But I also love Mary. So I'm, I, I kind of ask myself all the time, like, what's a nice Protestant girl like you ta- doing, talking about the Virgin Mary all the time, <laughs> but she keeps on showing up for me. And so I do think that the energy of Mary is still very much alive in the world and that Mary like serves as a guide for a lot of people, an example, a guide. And that we're used to seeing her as meek and mild, but she was really kind of badass. Yep. She is like, Absolutely. like she is like proclaiming all of this good news. I got to think Jesus was a troublesome child. I got to think this wasn't easy. You know, if we're looking definitely at literally, definitely. non-literally, whatever. <laughs> like she's kind of a badass for doing all the things that she yeah. did. And she's also the dispenser of wisdom. Like she has, she's inheriting generations of feminine wisdom unwritten feminine wisdom that she teaches Jesus and that Jesus then proclaims in these feminine kind of ways like parables and, um, you know, esoteric teachings. So like props to mother Mary. So I, she's probably my favorite part of the Christmas story.
4: Well, yeah, Well, let's, let's think about that. I mean, um, we've already kind of shared our personal stories and significant things about Christmas, but Christmas, right. Has taken on this life of its own now where it's this major thing Right. Uh, the world stops and changes. And, you know, like every year, like I think it was even before Halloween, uh, we went to Walmart or went to a gas station that's next to Walmart and they had they were setting up Christmas decorations and all this stuff. And it's like, what? Like it's getting crazy. Pretty much. Now it's going to be like Valentine's Day. They'll be setting up Christmas. Like It's how they just keep moving it back and back and back. So, you know, there's good things. I think we're focusing as much as we can on the good things, the positive things about Christmas and so there's good stuff about it, right? But there's also some things about it that are not so good. Um, so I'm just curious what you guys think about that. What are what are some of like the best and the worst for you of Christmas?
2: I, w- I would say the best thing about it is family time, time with family. Um, um, like Katie's grandma typed in her card. Uh-huh.
1: So get right, Katie. Get right. We're going to get a Christmas get card right. from you now.
2: Yeah, tight.
4: No check. Tight up. Uh,
2: Yeah. So, um, I I I I believe that that's the the time that if you're setting aside time to come together uh, with your family for any reason, especially in light of what we've been going through with being in this pandemic for the last three years and understanding how very fragile human life is, um, if you're setting aside any time to get with your family. I think that's precious and, um, to be cherished and adored and appreciated and remembered. So I think that's the, that's the best thing about it. I I would agree that the worst thing is the commercial, uh, commercialization of this holiday, uh, spiritual day or whatever we want to call it. And one thing I was thinking about too, was it seems to me, it could just be me. Y'all let me know what you think. It seems to me that quote Christian holidays are the high, the most highly commercialized holidays there are. Have you ever walked into Walmart and seen a whole bunch about Indian holiday, Hindu holidays, or Buddhist <laughs> no. holidays, or whatever religion you want to think of? I don't. Christian holidays are the most commercialized holidays ever on the planet, anywhere in the world. And it's interesting to me that that's the case. But I think I think that that would be the worst part about it that it's become so. It's, Always, always about that almighty dollar. And, and even in the churches, unfortunately, I'm not just talking about like Walmart or Target or Amazon. Even in the churches, there is always that push, push, push to give more, give more, give more. And um, not that there's anything wrong with giving. It's just that it, that money pushed during the holidays. People are hungry all year round. People need shelter yeah. all year round. Yeah. People need yeah. food and clothing all year round why are we only pushing for it on Thanksgiving and Christmas? You know, oh, yeah. and so I, yeah. I think that's the part I don't like.
4: Yeah, that's, that is a great point. Like that always happens around Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? You see the celebrities or the politicians out there, you know, standing behind the table, you know, serving out food, turkey and dressing or whatever to the homeless people and yay. And then, you know, there's big toy drives for Christmas. And all this emphasis is on those two days of the year. But, you know, <laughs> uh, the other 363 days of the year, people are hungry, kids need, need jackets, uh, they need school supplies. You know, like, like All that stuff is true all the time. And we act as if it's only on these important days, these special quote-unquote days, um, that everybody has to go out there and give and serve and all that stuff. Um, yeah, and that's, that's something I don't like about it because it does, it does create this feast and famine kind of thing. Like for the people that are living in poverty – you know, we, we serve people living in motels and stuff for 11 years and, um, yeah, we did all we could, you know, to do, we did toy drives and, and, uh, backpacks and things like that for them for school and all stuff like that. But, you know, our thing was to like, we want to be, I want to be out there every weekend. I want to be out there like, you know, at least once a month, uh, con- you know, consistently doing stuff like that. Cause it's, it does create this, um, this, it, it, it turns into thing where like the focus is on, look at me, look what I'm doing look what I look how I'm giving, look, look, I have the Christmas spirit or whatever. Um, but it's not so much on like those real human beings who actually have to deal with it. That same struggle every single day.
3: Do y'all remember Reverend Billy and the
4: church of stop shopping? Oh, I love that. Yes. So
3: I feel like that deserved a shout out as we're thinking about what is wrong with Christmas or what we hate most about Christmas. I, our church, uh, when I was pastoring first Christian church of Oakland, we did an entire Advent season, uh, Revolving around the principles of the church of stop shopping because there was this notion of how do we decommercialize it? How do we connect with what's important? And I gotta say, there is something I love about it uh, that isn't about family. And maybe that's because, you know, immigrant, well, there were only three of us in this country. So that wasn't as significant to me. But this notion of getting to stop and think about what it means to be part of a religion that said the most vulnerable being we can imagine is what represents God's love and a completely different way of understanding God's strength. Yeah. To me, that's worth pausing and doing, especially at a time when Christianity has been conflated with masculinity, when Christianity has been conflated with uh, with nationalism, when it's been conflated with capitalism. Yep. The birth story is the opposite of all of those things and militarism, right? It's the yep. opposite of all of those things that's worth doing. It's a radically countercultural thing to do. That's the thing I do love about Christmas. Yeah. And I would miss if it weren't real.
1: Uh, I like I like all of that. And I'm not sure why no one's brought up food. So I'm going to bring up food. Like right? Christmas food is awesome. <laughs> I can't even eat 95% of it now because of all my weird dietary restrictions. But I'll make an exception and be in pain for a good Christmas cookie or bread. Um, or something like that. So I don't, I, I like all the sweets. I don't care about Christmas dinner, like whatsoever. I would definitely miss um, that part of Christmas. And now that I live in Europe, um, there, there is no Christmas in October. It starts trickling mm. in like mid-November, but it's really mostly in December, uh, at least where I live. And the, uh, so I, I really appreciated that. It's not overly commercial.
3: In in Europe,
1: mm-hmm. and interesting, a lot of places in Europe that are really non-Christian. I mean, very few religious people really get into Christmas and Advent and do the whole traditional celebrations with Advent wreaths and Christmas trees, and they so they they do all of the um, you know what the family of origin would call the pagan parts of the holiday really really well, but they're not bringing in the the religious part. So uh, um, now that I'm here and it's not quite so restrictive with COVID, I'm kind of curious if I can put together all the best parts of these. Um, so for me, I I do like to do a lot of meditation and reflection on the year around Christmas and it's uh, in the Northern hemisphere, the darkest time of the year. Mm -hmm. So around solstice and, uh, celebrating all of that. So that's, it's like the best and the worst all combined all in one. And how can you choose, how can you weave the parts together that will work for, for your spirituality?
4: Yeah. No, thank you for mentioning food. Um, Sadly, Wendy and I have in have moved to El Paso, Texas, where they do not have a Trader Joe's. And it is so painful, especially around Christmas time, because Trader Joe's, um, usually like December 1st, right after Thanksgiving, they start putting out their Christmas goodies and stuff. And yeah, the holiday oh my Jojo's. Oh, holiday JoJo's. Well, mm-hmm. see now Wendy um and her family lived in Germany for a while. She actually graduated from Frankfurt American High School, uh, because her dad was in the military. And um, and so she uh, she introduced me to all these things I never even heard of Lebkuchen, which are these really awesome uh, like German cookie things. I want um, one. I want one. Oh, how do I get them? Yeah, had, they're so good. The Trader Joe's. You have to go to. Sorry, all, all I know to do is go to Trader Joe's. There's
3: no European um, Trader
4: Joe's. Christmas Kringles, uh like these little Danishes, they're awesome.
3: Katie, you're in Europe. You can get Lebkuchen.
4: I think you probably you're closer than I am to probably where they make these things. I want <laughs> go to it Germany. easy. Germany? Um, But no, those things are awesome. I really, we always look forward to those. There's also like a Christmas. um, Oh, I can't think of the name of it now. It's like a powdered sugar Christmas cake thing. Oh my gosh. It's so freaking good. Um, Anyway, but I, yeah, I, I love the food. You're right. Christmas stuff is Christmas food is the best. Do we have time to talk
3: about deconstruction for like five minutes? Sure. Um, So, it's interesting because I think we we had wanted to talk a little bit about what happens when you deconstruct Christmas. And I know that we've already kind of named some of the losses of family that can happen. But y'all, when I was pastoring First Christian Church of Oakland, we were right next to um we were right next to a group home for LGBT foster youth. Right. And we wow. invited them all over to help us decorate our Christmas tree in the, narth- in the in the sanctuary. And we had cookies and cider and hot chocolate. And we had this whole thing. And one kid was sitting kind of sullenly uh, off to the side. And uh, my my friend Jeffrey and I went up to him. And we're like, hey, you doing all right? And he's like, you know, Christmas is just a ripoff of a pagan holiday. And Jeffrey's like, yeah, we know. And the kid nearly fell off his chair because the fact that church folks could actually acknowledge that was such a gift to him. We ended up having a really beautiful relationship. He had he had really been alienated from any spiritual community for so long because yeah. as a queer youth whose family had rejected him um, – he had very little patience and understandably had very little patience for the church. So interestingly enough, the fact that I was in a congregation where they were like, yeah, we want to talk about all of the things. Um, we want to deconstruct Christmas created space to be in more meaningful relationships. So I feel like sometimes deconstruction can actually gain us family. Mm. wonder if what else we should be thinking about.
4: For some people who struggle with depression and things like that, like, isn't this a true statistic, right? I think I've heard this somewhere like the suicides go up around the holidays and things like that. And so, yeah, it can, so, you know, we all shared our happy, wonderful memories and all this stuff. And that's great. But yeah, for a lot of people, it's the worst time of the year like they can't it in fact in some ways it works the other direction like the more they're surrounded by like they go to the mall and there's christmas decorations and little elves and santa and and you know they can't go anywhere without being reminded they you know go to freaking starbucks there's like some christmas pump, pumpkin spice thing right it's on the cup merry christmas like uh it actually has the opposite effect it doesn't make them happy and joyful and thankful that makes them like they start to feel the losses and the things you know the 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 loneliness and the isolation even more because everybody else is celebrating and enjoying something really that they all seem to think is great, but it's just not reaching them. And, um, so that's, that's tough. And, um, and yeah, we should, I think, I'm sorry, I, I repent. I think we should have, uh, made a point of saying that uh, to people that are, are, are on the holidays right now. not feeling, not feeling the joy or the love, um, I don't know, I feel like we should share the hotline or something for the uh, suicide prevention hotline or something because, um, yeah, because it's very real for a lot of people. I I don't think I've really experienced it to, I've gone through seasons of depression, but uh, the holidays specifically aren't something that triggers me that way, but for a lot of people it is. And real quick, I
2: just want to say that's one of the things that,
4: uh, piggybacking on the things we hate about, <laughs> that's one of the
2: things, like that little, I hate the hypocrisy of the church there mm. in that. Where they have that whole be be in the world but not of the world, be ye not co- tra- conform but be transformed by the renewing of my be holy because Christ is holy and all that other shit they like to say. And then, but they 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 have Easter egg hunts and they have Christmas trees and they have you know what I'm saying. And it's the yep. bullshit for me. Like it's yeah. the bullshit. You know what yep. I'm saying. Just do what you're gonna do and quit trying to send people to hell for because you send differently than they do if you yeah. believe in sin or whatever. You know, it's the bullshit that for me. You know, just just do what you do. Just do what you do. Quit trying to twist the scriptures to make it fit, to make it right, to make it because it's true for you. Let it be truth for you and let that be enough. Let your truth be enough truth for you. Don't project it on the other people. Don't try to tell them what they believe is true is not true. You know, I believe the young man, you know, almost fell off his seat and felt so validated and vindicated. Yep. In that moment, because someone acknowledged the truth that he already knew was true, and that the church was trying to act like wasn't. Mm-hmm. And how can you be a beacon of light, hope, and truth, but you're living in a lie? Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Jesus ain't got shit to do with no Christmas trees, no lights, no candies, no 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 Christmas tree, little Debbie cakes, no presents under no tree, no none of that. He ain't got shit to do it. He ain't got. He wasn't born on, January, on December the 25th. None of it. Okay. All of it is man-made. All of it is created. 99.999% of it is mythical and imagined and symbolic. Just say that. And then just say, we like it. It's fun. We do it because it's fun. We enjoy it. We like to give gifts. We like to receive gifts. We like to eat ourselves into a comb and lay around with our zipper down and watch football. Just say, just keep it real with yourself. You know what I'm saying? And I think the world will respect that more if you just keep it real with yourself. Okay? And just say, and on top of all that, we love God too. This is just what we do, damn it. It's just what we do. Just keep it real.
1: <laughs> I do miss Christmas football on December twenty fifth, which I That's don't a great currently. Uh, which I don't currently get. But you know, for those who are who are deconstructing Christmas, it's it is it's a lot, I think, to deconstruct the Bible and beliefs and family traditions and the holiday all at once. Um, And so I would, I just encourage everyone to give yourself a ton of latitude and a ton of space and grace while doing that. And again, a Christmas cookie is going to be your friend in this process. (laughs) You know, your family may not be there for you, but your Christmas cookie always will, right? You can still make your favorite recipes, right? So you can still hold on to the parts of the tradition that are meaningful as you're sorting, as you're sorting stuff out. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to have a non-Christmas Christmas. Yeah. That's right. That's right. For a couple of years too, you don't, you don't have to do a damn thing. So, like Katie said, take your
2: time. Take your time, but please do this. Don't take your time with this. Hurry up and get your tail over there to uh, theheretichappyhour dot com and um, check out all the stuff we have to offer over there. There's quizzes. There's books. There's all kind. There's t-shirts. I hear there's t-shirts over there. There's all kind of stuff over there for you to check out. So, go on over there to heretichappyhour dot and check us out over there. And thank you for listening. What else we got going on, y'all?
1: Hey, when does, this, when does this episode air? On December 20th. 20th? hmm Perfect. Yeah, tomorrow's the solstice. So come put your pagan holiday wishes on our Facebook group, Heresy After Hours. Uh, it's a free Facebook group for everyone deconstructing. We would love everyone to post tomorrow. Happy Mithras Day. As we're moving into the solstice and Christmas time, uh, put all your favorite recipes, your deconstructing thoughts. That's what the community is there for. There's a couple of thousand heretics in there, just like you asking great questions. So come there and get some support at Heresy After Hours Facebook group. Merry Mithras.
4: Merry Mithras, everybody. Merry Mithras. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, by the way, we just want to say in the spirit of Christmas, Thank you all so much for the beautiful gift that you give us, uh, through Patreon. Uh, when you support, thank you. When you support this podcast, uh, it really means a lot. It, it, uh, it's a very special gift that we get to unwrap, uh, every month. And if you don't support us yet on Patreon, would you please consider going to patreon.com slash heritage happy hour. And then when you do, we will give you many, many, many gifts. In fact, there are many gifts around the, the Patreon heritage happy hour tree. Um, waiting for you to unwrap as soon as you uh, just become a monthly uh, supporter of your favorite podcast. Thank you very much.
3: So the best gift you could give any of us this Christmas is bourbon, but the second best (laughs) Christmas gift you could give us is a good rating or review. uh, Wherever you listen to podcasts, it's how people like you find people like us. And while we do want you to really get into the spirit of Festivus for the rest of us, we do not want you to post your complaints and grievances on those podcast sites. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now I want a little Debbie Christmas uh, tree cake.
4: Well. Have,
3: um, yeah. I'm about to go heat up some eggnog. Like, <laughs> you're just going to be drinking
1: scrambled eggs. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go. And, um, that's some hot air, That's
0: really the great. After, it. after that. Because
3: <laughs> it's going to be purging don't know <laughs>